0: Welcome to Wood Talk for Woodworkers by Woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 300 for March 21st, 2016. 300 shows, and you know what? We're not really doing anything special. We're not, we're not really good with anniversaries here, you know, like big, big numbers and things like that. We just kind of do the regular show. I don't know. I think maybe people appreciate that. You know, you don't make a big deal, it's fine.
1: It's a big deal when we get to four digits
0: that's what we'll do that's right when we get to a thousand man are we going to have a show for you
1: yeah take a week off
0: (laughs) right we won't do a show (laughs) at all we'll be celebrating Uh, so on today's show we're talking about boiled linseed oil explosions ripping chain and our featured topic woodworker guilt that'll be interesting (laughs) Um, yeah all the good stuff coming up but uh, we have to thank a few folks who helped us out Peter Brown Jim Gavax or Gavix and Brian Prusa thank you so much gentlemen for helping us with a financial donation you donated some dollars. You sent them from your pocket to ours. We appreciate that. And if you want to help out too, you can. Go to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the side column for those donation links and set up a one-time donation or a recurring donation. All very small amounts, but every little bit helps and we really appreciate that support. Let's get into what's on the bench. I'll go first. Uh, not really exciting woodworking related stuff, but shop improvement stuff. I may have alluded to this in the last couple of weeks, but I uh, finally got the exhaust fan. Inst- Whoops, just kicked the desk with my knee. Uh, got the exhaust fan installed in the wall and next up we'll be venting my dust collection outside. And you know, being in a sort of extreme climate uh, as far as the climate goes around the country, obviously very hot here, uh, you gotta be concerned when you're punching holes in the envelope. Uh, My buddy Vic immediately called me. I didn't get a chance to call him back, but uh, he's- (laughs) Hey Vic. Yeah, hey Vic, Um, he's Mr. Uh, Environmental uh, sort of guy. Excuse me. So he actually um, was like, you, "You gotta, you gotta cover that thing up. Like you can't keep that that vent just sitting there. You're gonna have to make sure you seal that up. Otherwise, you're gonna have all kinds of problems." Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna obviously run these, um, run the uh, the big exhaust fan while the air conditioning is on. It's just kind of there for cleanups and bursts and things like that. Um, the dust collection, on the other hand, that will run. You know, when there's when there's air conditioning on, and that's just sort of uh, something I'm gonna have to deal with. I don't. It will probably drop the temperature, but my shop is a shop. It's not like my living room. So if the temperature spikes up a little bit, it's not like I'm walking around in the lap of luxury uh, in there um, where it's got to be like the perfect temperature. I'm usually sweating anyway. It's, it's active work. It's dusty. It's dirty. I just want the, the temperature to be, you know, somewhere below 90 and I'll be happy. Uh, so, you know, so a little bit of air going out for the dust collection. I don't really think that that's too big of a deal. Um, but that's the second upgrade going in. So glad to see it. Uh, less dusty environment. Just I feel better about not having that filter stack in the shop. I know it's supposed to be fine but there's just something about it I always get like nervous about air leaks and the, not cleaning it enough and, and you know dislodging all the dust from all the pleats um, oh, yeah yeah, you know how it goes but uh, that's my, my health paranoia <laughs> in effect here um, so those will be done soon and then uh, we'll get to some woodworking here pretty soon starting on the br- br- the barristers bookcase is the next project in the guild and that's the the next thing I'm going to start that's going to be sweet I hope so we'll see so, uh, what about you? What's going on? So much confidence. You know, I like to set the bar low for myself, you know. I like to exceed expectations at all times, so I set everything very low.
1: Oh, That's the key to your success? That's
0: it. That's it. I always, I always do very well because I don't expect to do well at all. So, you know, it works out.
1: That's perfect. <laughs> so, this week I kept working on my trim projects. So, I started running the casings through the router and all that stuff. Hey. So, that's been kind of fun, you know, feeding stuff through a router. Nice. And I started to do my baseboard installs, and those I'm not doing a shoe molding or a quarter round along the floor, so I'm scribing all my baseboards to the floorboards. Oh, baby. And it's very interesting. Well, it's not hard. It's just tedious. One of those, it's another thing, you know. As as woodworkers, this isn't doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Yeah, it's literally working to a knife line, which is kind of what we do a lot of times anyway. Sure. So it's just one more thing with the install, but I I really like I like the look a lot. It's really clean, and I don't have it. It's not the first one I did. Isn't super perfect. There might be like a thirty-second of an inch gap here or there between the floor and the baseboard. Yeah, but it's it's on the floor.
0: Right. I mean, you're the only not really going to it. see
1: that gap. Is my son. Yes, and small and bugs. He'll be will be standing up soon. So, right you now, where about that anymore?
0: <laughs> what are you doing the uh, What are you doing the work with to do the final finessing on your your line?
1: I I scrub the line with a a, a knife on a block, so I have a consistent um, whatever scribe line, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing, I'm rough cutting it at the bandsaw at a bevel. So just the front edge is going to touch the the floor. Right. And then I'm just, ref- I'm refining that down to the line with a, uh, a hand plane. Nice. So it's literally like when you, it's super easy because it's, it's a knife line. So you can see exactly when you hit that line, because you can get that little fiber. Whatever, you can see the little fiber, like kind of flake off or whatever. Right. Right. So you know exactly when you hit your knife line. You get that on. That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome.
0: Very but nice. Good, you know,
1: Plus, like, I'm kind of at an advantage compared to, like, a trim carpenter because I literally just, like, scribe the baseboard, bring it down to the shop.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Most guys, (laughs) most installers don't have a shop in the basement, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that's pretty cool.
1: (laughs) That worked out pretty well. And then I finished up doing some slabbing this past weekend and uh, moved the slabs, got them stacked. That's always quite the workout because... um, I'm not a big guy, and these slabs easily weigh more than I do most of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. They test your manhood.
1: <laughs> so it's always, always interesting to do that. But nice. I got those all out of the way. I'm ready for my next log there. And um, what was it yesterday, Saturday, Sunday? My wife and I were out in the shop. And since it is get woodworking week this week, I was out there with her, get, getting her doing some spoon carving because she's wanted to try that for a long time. Sweet. Because it's so glamorized on Instagram.
0: Right, so. <laughs> exactly. Everyone makes a beautiful wooden spoon there. <laughs> Very nice. So, how did she do? She's not done yet. <laughs> oh, okay, she's still working. Okay, did she? She carved, she carved the bowl and then she we
1: cut the outside of the uh, the shape out on the bandsaw. Mm-hmm. And now she's working on the outside profile.
0: Very nice. Did she enjoy it? I think she did. Yeah. Is it? Because it, sometimes it's like you, 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 it's tough to gauge. You know, are they just humoring you, or <laughs> is she actually enjoying herself? <laughs> well, she's
1: committed now because they're making a video. So, oh yeah, she's you know. got no choice exactly yeah you got her hooked it's
0: fine (laughs) who cares whether she likes it or not she's in the video it's perfect (laughs) good deal man that sounds great uh how about you shannon what's going on oh nothing because you're not here oh i understand so i think uh shannon where is he williamsburg or something what's he yes okay so he's on vacation. instagram at least he is all right he's on vacation because he's a slacker uh and he's doing something else so that's uh, we should have mentioned that at the top of the show but obviously (laughs) shannon's not here today uh it's just a two-man operation here Okay, so getting into what's new, you want to take the first one? You already kind of alluded to it. Yes, I did. This week, the 20th through the, what's Saturday?
1: The uh, 26th is Get Woodworking Week here, March 2016. It's a yearly thing for woodworkers to, you know, get off their butts, get out in the shop, get woodworking, and possibly take someone out there with you, teach them the craft, and get them into it as well. Uh, That's a lot of fun. I, I mean, I had a great time just out there with my wife. She doesn't step foot in the shop very often. And usually just to like get me out of it, Mm -hmm. so it was cool to be out there for like an hour and a half just watching her woodwork. And I got to—it was nice because I was running the camera, so I don't have to worry about like setting up shots and then like making sure I'm in frame or anything. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace. And then just run the camera.
0: Yeah, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. This is a yearly thing that Tom Ivino came up with and I. Uh, you can still find information on Tom's website at uh, tomsworkbench.com slash get dash woodworking. Um, I don't know how involved Tom is this year, but uh, that's where you can find all the information about it. Uh, so it's a great thing. Great idea and hopefully we'll see a lot of good content uh, come out as a result of that. All right, let's get into our kickback. Um, couple all right. of them. Yeah, all right. Uh, okay, you're okay? I'm okay. Right. Let's Good do transition. It. Um, I'm good at those. Brian, <laughs> called in. Actually, we have two voicemail kickbacks for you. This one has nothing to do with woodworking, but uh, I think Shannon will probably listen to this while he's on the road, so uh, he'll enjoy it.
2: Hello, Wood Talk. This is uh, Brian Reich from Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, I got some kickback for Shannon about his um, website update issue that he was having. Sorry, this has nothing to do with wood. (laughs) Um... Anyway, Shannon, um, the issue that you had with replacing all of those codes all over your website, um, I know uh, the Hand Tool School runs on WordPress, sounds like the perfect job for a plugin called Better Search Replace. Uh, check it out. Uh, if you've got like uh, short codes up all over your
0: website. Okay, I'm not going to play the whole thing because he goes into some details about it. Obviously, it, you know, has nothing to do with the show, <laughs> but I wanted to play it for Shannon. <laughs> so there you go. Check out that plugin, Shannon. Get it done faster, man. You know, there's always a plug-in for something out there, just about everything you could think of. Uh, Cool. All right. So next one uh, is from Kevin about variable speed on sanders.
2: Hi, this is Kevin in Michigan. I just got done listening to one of your podcast comments regarding variable speed on rotary sanders and the fact that you don't...
0: You know what's funny about the way he said that? I almost imagine air quotes when he says, Your <laughs> podcast on variable speed Sanders. <laughs>
1: it's like exactly it, what it sounds like. There's actually. a little
0: contempt in his voice there. That was uh, pretty good. Let us know if you hate us, Kevin. We're curious. <laughs> and so here's the rest of his voicemail.
2: Uh, I find a need to turn it down. In my mind, the higher speed uh, is a more aggressive cut. So I do turn it down when I'm doing something uh, like Air Delicate Edge. Or I've turned it down using finer grits just uh, to try and be a little bit less aggressive with the amount of material being taken off. Uh, That's my thought. I don't know if it's valid or not, but uh, just so i provide that kickback.
0: Thanks. Well, there you go. That's another opinion. I guess whatever works for you. You know, if lowering the speed does the trick and gets the job done, go for it. Uh, It's just something I, I usually find that lowering the speed doesn't necessarily help me control the sander any better in a situation like that, it just makes the rotation and the, the 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 possibility for more swirls in the surface, so I tend to stay away from it, but mm-hmm. hey, if it works for you, who's, who's to argue? Uh, let's see what else we got here. Okay, so now let's go into uh, some cool kickback. Uh, this is one of those things, once in a while on the show, we talk about something that strikes a nerve with people and we get some interesting feedback on it. Um, i haven 't kept up with the comments i don 't know how much there was in terms of commentary on the website itself, uh, but Quite a we bit. You, okay, I have to go and check it out. but I picked two out of our uh, kickback submissions from our form, and we'll read those in a minute two two different viewpoints here. Uh, but we did have one one guy i can 't remember his name left a very, very long comment, and uh, we didn't publish it just because he got very mm. Over the line, I guess you would call it, and I think he probably would, you know, hate me because it's a politically correct thing to not publish his comment. Uh, but I do like to keep our, our stuff family friendly, and there were just some words that I don't think were appropriate to to publish. But point was, he was angry, and a lot of people are angry about this kind of thing and the sort of. Um, the issue, the exact issue we brought up about how uh, the fear of litigation and the helicopter parenting and all this stuff that, that really gets people annoyed. So uh, the, we thought these were kind of cool uh, kickbacks to, to give you some perspective on what other people thought. So Matt, you want to take that first one?
1: All right, it's from Stein. Uh, regarding kids in the shop, my parents have always been a, of the DIY persuasion, so I grew up with a small shop in the basement and lots of small and big projects around the house. I've been told my first encounter with a sharp tool before I could walk. Oh, pretty good. Wow. Granted, there was an Eagle High grandfather with both hands at the right hanging on to me. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot recall at any point my parents deny me to use a tool in the shop when I asked to. I was, of course, ingrained with shop safety from a very, very early age, and as a result, or as a result, at some point in elementary school, I was allowed to go into the shop and use hand tools unsupervised as long as my parents were home. I can only remember one single incident where I hurt myself in any significant way. I was sawing out a notch when I suddenly became aware that I was bleeding. <laughs> I had sawn through my nail on my thumb and, um, and just barely scratched the skin beneath. So I found my mom, got her to rinse the wound, patch me up, and then I went out and finished the cut, paying close attention to my fingers this time. Hmm. My parents' philosophy. It's,
0: uh, Interesting spelling, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: With Fs. Ph- Sophie. I think that was just to throw me off.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: My parents' philosophy through this, as long as you can be patched up, it's okay to get hurt. You learn much faster that way. If I have kids one day, then if I have kids one day they will get the same treatment, I'm sure of that.
0: There you go. Well said, Stein. Uh, All right, next one here is from Aaron. He's kind of angry. He says... I really like you guys. However, after the question regarding someone else's child in the shop, your responses really got on my nerves. To say I can't stand modern society's bubble wrap approach, then go on about how you wouldn't let someone chi- you wouldn't let someone's child in your shop without prior. Permission, supervision, etc., makes me believe people like you are part of the problem with society. If I wasn't able to go into my father's or mate's parents' workshop without prior permission, supervision, etc., I question whether I would have spent enough time in a workshop to get interested in the first place. Stop being so touchy. Let kids be kids. Accidentally leave the workshop door open. If they get interested enough to spend time there, that's great. If they hurt themselves, that's life. Most kids would be more cautious than adults around tools. I'm proof, and any injuries I have ever had. Uh, have been when I was old enough to supervise myself, Aaron. All right, here's the thing: I do take some issue with that, Aaron. Um, you know, if you think that it's okay today, now I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but if you think it's okay to let someone else's kid come into your shop, that's your prerogative. But you are asking for problems. It's it's not okay today. And granted, we can have problems with the way society is, but. We have to swallow that pill because that is our society and we can do what we can to change it. Change it with your own kids. Don't change it with someone else's kids because I'd have a serious problem if someone made that decision on something like that for my child. I mean, the bottom line is kids in the shop, regardless of what his last sentence said about being safer, I think that's BS. Kids will not be safer in a shop Than an adult, kids think they're they're have sort of that invincibility mentality. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea to just leave a kid unattended in a shop and say, "Oh, that's life." Uh, The shop is a place where accidents happen. Accidents tend to happen more to kids because they're a little clumsier, maybe they don't have the coordination or the knowledge of what a particular tool does. So, just that mentality, honestly. You know, I'm sorry, Aaron. I think that's dumb. I don't think that's a very smart approach. But you are your own person. Your family is your family. You can do whatever you want in your shop and what you think is appropriate for uh, your kids and the kids that come into your shop. That's that's the great thing. But I think the problem is we are part of the problem because we are part of society. You know, so we, we uh, you know, you and I both have very young kids right now. So we can see from a broad perspective the problems with things, but we also have trouble seeing the solution. To those things, like I know what I would want to do with my own son, but I also see the problems with with taking an approach like Aaron has. I don't think that you can just be counterculture and just say I'm going to go forward doing this because that's a great way to wind up in court somewhere, you know. And that's again, that's the mentality—the fear of being sued or hurting someone else's child and ending up in a horrible, horrible situation. So, I mean, I don't disagree at all that we are part of the problem, Um, but I don't think you can simply take that sort of one-sided perspective that Aaron has and call that the solution to the problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can I would feel terrible to have my own child get severely injured in the shop, but I would be even more it would be even worse if it was someone else's child.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this to me, not to dwell on this too much again, but this to me is a media problem. You know, we at, have at our fingertips so much information. You know, and it's the same thing. You know, you look at like I'm not going to get political here, but in politics, you now have people who maybe they have fringe ideas, you know, and concepts, and let's just call them like wackos. Wackos can find each other now and they can group up and they become (laughs) a little bit more powerful and all they have to do is create a stupid meme that someone finds funny and then it gets spread around Facebook and your cousin sends it to you saying look at this because they think it's true because they get their news from their news feed which is just ridiculous. So I think there's a problem with media today is that we just hear about all of this stuff you know so even things that uh, you know maybe don't really pose a true threat to your child suddenly you hear two or three stories about that and now it's a problem you know so that, i think that's that's a big part of it we're more aware of what's going on globally and just the numbers when the reality is these things the the risk is really low you know to our kids and the things that we're trying to save them from but it's hard as a as a, as a human being who's trying to protect your child to just close your close your sort of awareness of that and say no i'm going to ignore all that incoming information and just focus on what i know it was much easier when we didn't know you know, and we can't claim to to be naive about it anymore. And that's the problem. Okay, I'm done burping and I'm done complaining. Uh, but don't, uh, you know, hey, we're always encouraging people to have different opinions. So again, Aaron, we respect your opinion, certainly. Uh, but I just disagree with it. Uh, right. Feature topic. This is going to be a good one. I like this. Uh, <laughs> Jason Burr wrote in. He says, hey, guys, just thought that I had a, wait, just a thought that I recently had that I thought, boy, I'm really batting a thousand. Either he messed it up or I'm messing it up. Just a reading thought. reading like I do. Yeah, right? We're doing good. You should just read it. Uh, just a thought that I had recently uh, might be good discussion topic. I recently built four shop drawers. I did dovetails on all of them with the intention of developing the best method for me to use going forward. With the volume of dovetails to be done, I could experiment with different methods. This is a cool idea. I really don't like the look of router jig dovetails, so I wanted to at least have them look hand-cut, in quotes. Here's what I did. First four, cut the pins first on the bandsaw with an angled sled, cut tails by eye on the bandsaw. Uh, the results were not any better than when I tried a few completely hand-cut in the past. Uh, second four, cut entirely by hand, tails first, with the exception of final removal of waste down to the baseline of the pin board. After removing most of the waste with a fret saw, I... Use the top bearing flush router bit to clean them up. Uh, how about the same results as, had about the same results as the first four. Third four, use David Barron's dovetail guide and saw. I don't know who David Barron is. Do you? I've heard that name. I'm not familiar with the gentleman. Uh, spectacular results and fit not perfect, but light years ahead of the first uh, The first two. Did the same router trick on the pins. First four, fourth four, same as the third, uh, but just refined. Best and quickest by far. Now he says, here's the question. Why the hell do I have guilt about using the dovetail guide? Shannon. Why? Yeah, right. It's <laughs> Shannon's fault. Uh, why is there a voice in my head saying, but you didn't hand cut those? Uh, why do I feel like I cheated or am I just a typical broken woodworker? Guilt or no, I'll be using this method going forward and will never be afraid to incorporate dovetails in the future. And he also says, P.S. I miss Matt V, but I love Matt C. Uh, that's the consensus, I think. So I thought this was an interesting topic, not to specifically even answer Jason's question, but uh, talk a little bit about woodworker guilt. And I think it's something that as we start to learn finer and finer techniques, we become aware of sort of maybe the old way to do things or the the quote unquote right way to do things, depending on what you know school or camp you're in. <laughs> Um, you start to look at other methods that maybe you used when you first started out or things that can be interpreted as shortcuts and you start to feel guilty about using those shortcuts. So it's something that I think evolves with you as a woodworker. Maybe some people get a little bit more, I don't know, know—let's say, let's call it snooty, you know, to some extent, a little bit snooty about the techniques and things that they use, but I think some people go the other way Uh, and I I can definitely say for myself, I'm going the other way. I have an awareness of things that I think are higher quality or uh, require more craftsmanship and I have more respect for those, but the more I get into this stuff, the more I value expedience being able to tr- like get results that are close enough to have a look I'm going for, but save me tons of time or make the results that much more predictable or easier. So I'm kind of going the opposite way. Even though I know these other methods are sort of considered to be the higher level craftsmanship, I still want things to go quickly. I still want things to be faster and have kind of a compromise between craftsmanship and quick results because they don't have to be you know, mutually exclusive things. You can kind of get both in some situations. Um, so I'm curious with you, Matt. Do you do you find yourself getting guilty about doing certain operations, or you don't really give it much thought? Um, I don't really give it a whole
1: lot of thought. I don't. I don't really have a guilt problem. Yeah. Per se. Um, I I think the internet is like the biggest problem for this because. But y- blame the media again. I. I it's true though. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I sit on Instagram. I'm looking at people doing like these really super awesome hand cut dovetails. And I'm like. Crap. This is I could I need to be able to be really good at this. I'm not I and mean, there's people out there that do a much better job of joining me than I do, mm-hmm. but I don't feel guilty about it. I just feel it as a way to work towards a a more of a, a better skill set, I guess. Yeah. More than anything, but I'm not guilty about any shortcuts I take to get there if it achieves the same results.
0: Yeah, I mean one of the thing is I think a lot of times it, may achieve close results for me. You know, I'm never going to get exactly the same thing, but I can get pretty darn close to the point that like 80% of the people out there will not be able to discern between, you know, using the dovetail example, the hand cut uh, pins and tails and the one that I used the bandsaw to cut, you know, oh, I'll yeah. get, I'll get close enough. It'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like with the with, with the dovetails the look I'm going for is, is hand cut in that the pins are small. Yeah. So I don't really care personally how that gets cut. I use a bandsaw for the most of the tail cuts, but I mean, I'm just—I don't really care for like um, same size pins and tails, like super router jig style. Sure, don't really care for that look personally. So if I can get a look that looks like it's been hand cut, narrow pins, wide tails, you know, that's what I'm going for. And whatever method I happen to take to get that way, it's fine with me. And whatever happens happens to be your preferred method with you. Fine with that too. I don't right. really care what you do.
0: <laughs> well, and I think the router jig is the one that gets all the the flack most of the time. And and I think for good reason, if you're looking to make decorative dovetails, if, if you want these things to be seen, there is something about the router cut ones what you know with the machine. It's very repetitive, very limited in the pin size. They can only get so small because of the size of the router bit, mm-hmm. uh and the patterns are usually, you know, very boring but if you go with hand cut you have a lot more options there. So that's I think that's where you might start to feel some guilt is like, well, I could use this other method, you know, it's much faster, but the problem is it's not going to look nearly as good. And these are showpiece dovetails. So you might have that inclination to do the, the the hand cut for that reason. Um but ultimately, you know, I just think the guilt is like you said, it's it's the internet coming together and making you aware of certain things and then you start to feel guilty about it whereas if you weren't aware and you were just making something called dovetails to impress your family and friends they would all be like well, look at those beautiful dovetails and you'd be like yep I cut them with my router jig my, my lead jig mm-hmm. and you'd be happy about it you know so I just think you know, take a step back look in the big picture what you're building, even with machine cut dovetails, is going to knock the pants off of anything out there. Any other furniture you could buy in a store, you're still making a high quality, potentially heirloom quality piece of furniture that you should be proud of. You know, so you know even go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. I was I you there. But you know what's funny is no one really like romanticizes hand cutting mortises and tenons like they do hand cutting dovetails. Yeah. Like I have no remorse and no guilt doing that by machine. Right.
0: I think part of the thing is you can't see them, you know. For I the guess, most part, but still, you're I never, mean, you're you're when, hiding them when you're honestly like
1: all the people that are going to look at your furniture probably aren't woodworkers. Don't know the difference, right? Hand cut dovetail, whatever, doesn't make a difference to them because they don't they don't know. Yeah, it's just when we start putting stuff on the internet and we start sharing our work with other woodworkers, we're kind of like, oh, I kind of got to com- compete a little <laughs> bit to seem better than I really am or be better yeah. than I really want to be. Or I'll go this, this way and do this way just because it makes, my, makes me seem more skilled or yeah. more of a craftsman or whatever. I think it's just the woodworkers doing stuff with other woodworkers.
0: It's We're sort of our, a, our own worst enemies. Kind of, yeah, it's it's like a woodworker status symbol of sorts when you say that I've I did this thing by hand, everybody's like, "Oh, ooh, you know, what I I have high respect for you." Uh, you know, it reminds me of just in general with social media. I saw this one video, I can't remember who made it, but it was showing how this this one guy just has a very sad life, but they show his day as he's going through and the things he does as he snaps a picture of himself in these situations where that little picture looks great, looks like he's having a time of his life, but the real situation and what he's actually doing is just kind of depressing, you know, and he's just taking these shots, posting them on Instagram, and it's like, oh, this guy has the best life, but the reality is he doesn't, you know, and I think not to go to that extreme, but there's something there, you know, with woodworkers. You try to get the shot that that makes the piece look the best, uh, you know, and put your best foot forward to impress your woodworking friends, you know? <laughs> it's just human nature, I think, to do something like that. But anyway, so I'd be curious to hear from uh, from the audience. If you guys have woodworker's guilt, do you, uh, you let that dictate what you do? Do you do something the, the slow or more difficult way just so that you could tell people that you did it the hard way? Or do you not care? I'd be very curious to see what people think about this. All right. I think now's a good time to talk about our friends over at Harry's. Now, here's the thing, dude. I'm going out of town for a couple of days. Now, when Marco's out of town, ideally, he doesn't want to shave while he's out of town. So, Usually I go for sort of the rough look. I kind of use the clippers to kind of keep a little stubble going, but trim down, so it's you know in control, Uh, but when I'm going away, I actually like to clean shave, so I have the longest lasting period of time that I don't (laughs) have to bring a razor or any kind of shaving device with me, right? So of course, what I did today, picked up my Harry's razor, and here's the thing, I'm still using, because I don't use it that often, I'm still using the same cartridge that I've had for a long time. I haven't had to change it out, and this thing is still super sharp, and I've got a pretty intense beard. Uh, that's a good challenge for a razor blade. And this thing is still doing great. So I picked out the shaving cream, loaded uh, loaded up my face, lathered it up, and clean shaved. And I feel smoother than I have in a very long time, which is, is quite nice. So got to recommend this stuff. Uh, works really, really well. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Hold on. <laughs> I got to get a drink of water.
1: Shave your throat too.
0: I think I did. Maybe I went a little bit too deep. Very good Uh, So Harry's is the only shaving company That has both amazing quality and low prices They feature German engineered Five blade cartridges that produce a close Comfortable shave, no cuts or burns Quality is guaranteed and they'll give you a full Refund if you're not happy They cut out the middleman so you get to take advantage Of the factory direct prices They're about half the price of the competition And everything is shipped right to your door It's kind of the best part I mean, if you're lazy like me and you don't want to go to the store and buy this stuff, just ordering it online and having it show up is pretty killer. Uh, Over one million guys have already made the Switch and thousands more Switch every day. Why pay $32 for an eight-pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter set is an amazing deal. Just $15, you get a razor moisturizing shave cream. That's what I use today. And three razor blades. Now, Harry's doesn't like to discount because the prices are already super low. But we've worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code Wood Talk. All one word Wood Talk. Stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to Harry's.com right now. That's H A R R Y S.com and enter the code Wood at checkout and get yourself some sweet shaving action. <laughs> Highly recommended Shannon uses them every day He loves it uh, And uh, for my infrequent use I love it too Alright let's move into our voicemail Got one here from Luke Question about uh, wobble dado.
2: Hey guys This is Luke from California um, I'm basically a beginner woodworker uh, For a while I've been doing my woodworking With some kind of older tools That I've just sort of randomly collected Mostly shopsmith and other stuff It's hand-me-downs uh, garage sale stuff, and don't get me wrong, you know, it all works, but it, it hasn't been very much fun. And I do want to get into this hobby, so I decided to spend a little bit of money and buy some new tools. And now I have a question about putting one of my old tools together with one of my new tools and trying to figure out how to make it work. Uh, I picked up a table saw. It's the uh, Delta 36725, I think. It's basically Lowe's answer to rigids, uh higher-end Carpenter saw. Um, and I have an old uh, wobble dado blade. Um, I guess sometimes they're also called dial a dado um, that I have never actually used. I uh, thought I'd try to use it. And the issue is that the space between the arbor on the new saw and uh, the lower blade housing guard, I don't know, might have to do with uh, dust collection, but whatever it is. It's really thin, and the wobble dado has a really thick center, and it just does not fit in there. So, my question is is it worth it to uh, modify my new tool by cutting out a little section of that housing so I could fit the wobble dado in, or should I just spend uh, the hundred bucks or so and pick up a dado stack? I've never used a dado blade, I've always used a router for that, but I wanted to learn some stuff about the new table saw. I appreciate your
0: guys' words. You. Thanks a lot. Bye. So, what do you think, Matt? Modification or just spend a few more bucks and get you know a current modern dado blade?
1: I would just get a new dado. The um, I've only used a wobble dado once, and the cut wasn't super great anyway. Yeah. At least compared to like a, a fairly a relatively decent uh, modern, I guess dado. Do they even make wobble dados anymore? I have no idea.
0: I don't know if they do, or you don't see them as often. I'm
1: going to go with the, I'm going to call them modern dados, yeah, modern like dado stacks. <laughs> the, the newer ones that you can buy nowadays with the multiple blades and chippers produce a much better cut quality anyway. So I think eventually, regardless, you're going to want to upgrade the wobble dado mm-hmm. anyway. So I would just say go for that dado stack now, then yeah. try and modify your saw.
0: Yeah, that's a good point it's an upgrade you're probably going to do anyway. So why not do it now instead of jacking up your saw? Because uh, usually that, that little housing thing in there does assist with dust collection. Uh, and a table saw is pretty horrendous collecting dust in the first place. So take that out and I think it just gets worse. So I yeah. wouldn't recommend it if you could avoid it. Cool. All right, let's get into our email. Uh, I got one here from Matt. should be a quick one, actually. Uh, He says, In a recent episode, you answered a question about applying finishes in an apartment workshop. You mentioned safe finishes, including linseed oil. Paul Sellers, in his video on restoring wood planes, states that boiled linseed oil has a very real risk of spontaneous combustion. Not safe. What are your thoughts? Um, My thoughts are, I haven't heard that particular statement from Paul, so I don't know the context. My guess is he's talking about the rags that you use to apply the oil. Generally speaking, just about any oil finish, for the most part, you want to be cautious about what you do with those rags because once you bunch them up and throw them in a corner, they could very well, you know, layer upon layer as the uh, oil starts to cure, it builds up heat and you could have a fire. And that's a a very real danger. Um, So we didn't get into that aspect during that conversation. We weren't really talking about, you know, specific safe handling of finishing materials. But generally speaking, we're not talking about the can of boiled linseed oil just catching fire on its own. Uh, We're not talking about your project catching on fire. Uh, It's really the application materials, the rags, the sponges, whatever you're using to apply this oil. You have to be cautious about how you dispose of it and make sure that it's dried properly. So- if you are in an apartment situation, what you might do is either grab a few rocks, put them out on your balcony, lay the the rags out in one flat single layer of material and make sure it just the wind can't take it away. Uh, once it's dry and crispy, throw it in the garbage. And if you have a railing, maybe hang it over the rail, though the oil is going to get on the railing. That might not be a good thing. But you, again, you sort of drape it over something, wait for it to dry and then throw it away. But I don't think you're going to have any sort of serious risk about the boiled linseed oil can just spontaneously combusting on your balcony uh, and causing a problem like that. That shouldn't be too much of an issue. Um, so I might be wrong here. There might be some aspect of this I'm not thinking of or some uh, a point that Paul was making in that, but I think you might, you got to make the connection to the finishing application stuff, not just the, the, the oil itself.
1: That's where my my mind went on that one anyway too. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a good point yeah. though, right? I mean, we didn't talk about other safety aspects in an apartment, but that would certainly be a concern if you're you're making waste. You need to know what you're going to do with it in an apartment situation. Drape over the uh,
1: the curtain rods or the uh, you know, the shower curtain or whatever. There you go.
0: Well, here's the other the thing about or That's the other thing about boiled linseed oil. Stinks. <laughs> You know, it does not smell good. So you're going to want that project outside as much as possible until the the boiled linseed oil fully cures (laughs) because that stuff smells nasty. Oh,
1: yes. Yes, it
0: does. Anyway,
1: (laughs) this next one's from James says, thanks to the new Matt. I'm interested in chainsaw milling. You're welcome. Mm. And being the woodworker I am, I want to analyze every aspect of it. So tell me what is the difference between a crosscut and a ripping chain? Thanks, guys. Keep up the great show. P.S. Don't worry, Matt. I won't tell my wife you were the reason I
0: want to spend more money. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he will when he's pressured and she's like, why are you spending this money? Why? And like <laughs> pesters him for a week and then he'll say, it was Matt's fault. It was my fault. Oh. Sure.
1: <laughs> so the the difference between a ripping chain and a crosscut chain is the sharpening angle on the, the tooth itself. They're really the chain like makeup, like the links are exactly the same, um, so you could, if you wanted to, you could buy a crosscut chain and refile it to a ripping angle if you'd like to, if you're so inclined. Um, otherwise, they're exactly the same. You can buy a ripping chain with the angle already on there. Um, I know for my my chains and bars, I think a loop of ripping chain for my 42-inch bar is like $47, and like a crosscut chain is $44 or something like that. So the price isn't that much different. And for $3, um, I don't really feel like, regrinding a chain Mm. because it takes like 20 minutes anyway (laughs) for that many links so i spend a little bit more money and get it pre-ground to the right angle and not to worry about that and the other the other thing is on the ripping chains the rakers are typically filed a lot lower than on a a crosscut chain to take a bigger bite but otherwise they could be literally made out of the same thing
0: nice sounds good uh, same links and everything there you go so uh how else can we encourage james to spend more money uh, the Wood Talk uh, donation. Thing. Oh, hey, that's a good point. So he can, su- <laughs> you mean he can support us if he wants to? He could. You may even buy a Wood Talk t shirt. Wow, at the TWW store? Uh, probably I would, that's the best place that I would go to find a Wood Talk t-shirt it's the only place that comes to mind because it's not on Amazon that's for sure um, <laughs> yeah so that that's awesome well done uh, you can support us if you want to set up a recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com you can go to TWW store and get yourself a nice Wood Talk t-shirt and if you want doesn't cost you anything just go to iTunes leave us a review um, and we got quite a few not going to be able to read them all but it uh, looks like Greg H. Woodworker Steve Stisher S-Larv, Slarve Slarve <laughs> interesting uh, and then this one Richard in Largo says a wood talk sonnet now I'm going to do the best but this is kind of <laughs> old Englishy and I did read through it once before we recorded it didn't it go well pretty funny uh, I'll do my best ready his hybrid ways are known throughout the land though green and black he hath forsworn in part he wieldeth steel with steady expert hand and multi routes his way into our hearts his towering cohort sweareth by the steel and useth not that cometh with a tail though though giant bear yet holdeth some appeal Neanderthal no wise pragmatic male and joineth them a merry northern hoss whose giggle filleth chortle's special niche the king of slabs and secretary's boss thou thou sayest log he heareth only flitch tearing it up right this is good uh, so, <laughs> so long as men tune in and rating see, so long lives this and this five stars these three it's really good for a woodworker. <laughs> what do I know about poetry and uh, things like sonnets? But th- I thought that was fantastic. That was great. I got to put that on the website somewhere. Well done. Thank you, uh, Richard. We really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just head over to iTunes and you can leave us a review just like that. We'll, uh, if it's really if you can rhyme and make a uh, poet a poetry or some kind of sonnet like that, we will certainly read it or at least try to. Uh, but yeah, that was awesome. All right. You're not Shannon, but you can read the contact info, Matt.
1: Oh, okay. Comments, questions, or topic suggestions? You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, all 300 of them, Mm -hmm. you'll find them at woodtalkshow.com. And then don't forget to check us out on our individual websites. Yes,
0: those. Those places. Uh, Thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and macromona.com. Why not? I'll read them now. Okay, we'll just say them. Why not? It's self promotion. It's all good. Shorten things up, but you know. I know. The show's already short today. (laughs) Oh, well, that's what happens when Shannon's not here to give (laughs) us his loquacious stylings. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya.